committing to. So to try and put it in very simple terms, just to summarize what Dave did a fantastic job talking about last week, uh, put it in terms that even I can understand. Uh, it seems that there, there were some teachers and leaders in Colossians, uh, in Colossae, who had come and they created a little bit of a, a religious culture which didn't always put Jesus at the center of everything. Dave mentioned three particular difficulties that the church was wrestling with. The first was there was a little bit too much emphasis on ceremony. Uh, secondly, they were a little bit over the top when it came to self-discipline, so perhaps a little bit legalistic. And thirdly, there was a bit of an issue with angel worship. And this seemed to result in what, in what might be described theologically, in technical terms, as a na-na-na-na-na faith. Now, for those of you who are not quite as theologically aware as me, a na-na-na-na-na faith is saying, I know something you don't know, as you're probably aware from school playground days. Na-na-na-na-na. It's a super spirituality. It's... Um, it's the idea that we've received some sort of special knowledge or spe special uh, revelation or special experience that sets us apart. It means we're closer to God than others. And so it seems that Paul is addressing these sorts of issues in this letter. And he does it in a very particular way uh, during the passage that we're going to look at today because the real problem with the issues mentioned here is that they move Jesus away from being at the center and we don't want that there's a story of um, a Sunday school teacher once talking to their children and asked the question which was um, what's uh, big and grey with four legs and there were puzzled and silent faces What's grey and big and has four legs and lives in Africa or India? Children were looking very puzzled. What's big and grey and has big ears and four legs and a long nose and lives in Africa and India? And one little boy puts his hand up and he says, yes. He goes, well, we're in Sunday school. I'm sure the answer should be Jesus, but it sounds like an elephant to me. <laughs> Now, of course, the answer to everything isn't Jesus. Tim Ryan does a pub quiz, and that would be rather boring if every answer to every question was Jesus. However, what we're doing is we're putting Jesus back into the centre. That's Paul's intention here. Uh, and this other stuff, these three issues that Dave's mentioned, and I'm reminded of us, uh, us of today, are getting in the way of putting Jesus first. So as Paul looks to correct some of the nonsense that uh, seems to be being talked about. Um, he decides to write, in this passage we're going to read in a moment, about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And so if anyone is trying to push Jesus to the side, Paul here pulls him right back into the very centre. And can I say to you this morning that I'm going to speak for a little while, not too long, uh, perhaps slightly shorter than normal, believe it or not. You're wondering about that, aren't you? You're not sure. Um, but hopefully some of the things will strike you and help you. Hopefully some of the things will be relevant to you. But can I say this? Nothing I will say today 
will be more important than what I'm about to read. Because this glorious piece of writing is the best contribution I can make to this morning. This is how Paul describes Jesus in this letter. Colossians 1 verses 15 to 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwelling in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without, blameless, without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant." a fantastic piece of writing, fantastic part of this letter. So as we look at these words, there are two major themes I want to draw out here. Firstly, the fact that Jesus is Lord, that he is supreme over creation and over the church. The second major theme is that Jesus is enough. When it comes to our Christian faith, we don't need to add anything or strive for anything or have some special revelation. Everything is available in Jesus. Now these two themes I believe are really important. Jesus is Lord, the supremacy of Christ, and Jesus is enough, the sufficiency of Christ. And these are the two big themes of the day. These themes are important because one is connected to the other. Paul is making the point here that actually if Christ is supreme, then he must be enough. The power of Jesus is capable, according to verse 17, of holding the whole universe together. Verse 16 reminds us that all things were created by him and for him. So if Jesus is at the centre of the creation of the universe, and if Jesus is at the centre of sustaining the whole universe, do you know what? It seems reasonable, I think, to expect him to be able to sustain you and I in our individual lives as individual believers without necessarily needing to add other things on to our faith. Does that make sense? Because he's supreme, he's enough. So Jesus can do it all. 
just have a little look at the um, word all in this passage. Just one or two references. By him all things were created. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. So, as we're walking along and we see the mountains and the lakes and the forests and the beautiful sky and the sunset, we're able to recognize the incredible provision of Jesus in creation. The whole created order in time and space owes its existence to Jesus alongside his Father and by the power of the Spirit. So let's not miss this. Let's not skip over that wonderful reality. Let's have another look at the sky at night. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. My goodness, there are lots of them. All things created by him and for him. Jesus is pretty amazing. But verse 20 tells us that this incredible provision from Jesus is not just about material things as we find another mention of the word all. We're still on the theme of all here. So, verse 20 tells us that there is spiritual provision. We are told that he has reconciled all, oops, steady, reconciled all things through his death on the cross. And we'll come back to the cross shortly. But first, the final all of the day. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwelling in him. It was the pleasure of the Father to make Jesus Christ the dwelling place of his divine fullness. I like that. That's good, isn't it? Some big stuff here. When I was, um, on Friday night, I was putting some stuff in our wheelie bin and um, I'd lifted the wheelie bin up and a gust, as I was putting stuff in, a gust of wind blew and blew the lid back, hit, hitting me on the nose. Look, I'll just show Andrew, because he's a medic. Look, Andrew, can you see? Didn't seem as sympathetic as I hoped there, <laughs> to be honest. So I went into the house with my nose bleeding, not really knowing that, because I just banged my nose. And, and what have you done? What are you doing? And so... In a slightly more positive way, I've decided I would like to whack you lot over the head with the glory and the majesty and the beauty and the power and the authority and the provision of Jesus. Boom, boom, boom. That's what Paul's doing here. There's so much of that going on. He's whacking us with it. And so as we think of uh, spiritual provision and Jesus being sufficient, let's just look again at verse 16. We're told that all things were created by him and for him. And these things include Thrones, powers, rulers and authorities. Now, remember last week when Dave set the foundation for us, he mentioned the possibility, and it's not clear entirely, but it seems likely that the, that the church in Colossae were a little bit too interested in angels and maybe even looking towards worshipping angels. And so, in this verse, when Paul mentions powers and authorities, he's almost certainly making reference to angelic beings. And so... He's making it clear that actually all, all spiritual forces, whether good or evil, they were created by Christ and they are subject to him. 
And so what I'm saying about that is there, there's nothing that these powers can do to influence the destiny of a person who is in Christ, who is a Christian. Nothing those powers can do to influence our destiny. And if we live under the authority and the sovereignty of Jesus, these heavenly angels, they don't have any extra treasures for us than Jesus has. And these evil and demonic powers, they have no terrors that can harm us if we live under the authority and under the sovereignty of Jesus. It's good, isn't it? So linked to Jesus being Lord spiritually and enough spiritually, let's deal briefly with two other statements which contain the words firstborn. So verse 15, he is the firstborn over all creation. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that Jesus was the first among created things because actually Jesus has always existed with his Father. He wasn't created. A more likely explanation is that the firstborn son is always the father's heir. So therefore, uh, in Hebrews uh, 1, verse 2, the writer says, uh, God has appointed Jesus heir of all things. It's interesting, the Hebrews passage is mentioning that to demonstrate Jesus' authority over the angelic powers, actually, which we're talking about here. Now what about the other firstborns? That's the first one. He is the heir of the father. The second firstborn in verse 18 says Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. What does that mean? What on earth is that about? Well, almost certainly this is a reference to the resurrection. After being publicly executed, three days later Jesus rises from the dead, physically appears to over 500 different people over a period of time. He is raised, firstborn from among the dead, the first to be raised. As we think of spiritual provision, it is the resurrected Jesus who gives us the Holy Spirit. Because dead men can't give us the Holy Spirit. It's because Jesus has been raised and exalted and seated on high, he sends his Holy Spirit upon his people. And we want to celebrate that this evening as we pray for one another to be filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. So do join us for that prayer meeting. So this brings us right back to the cross. The one who has conquered death gives life to those who believe and trust in him. And so if you're here today and you're not really sure of your faith, can I encourage you? Can I tell you that there is nothing that prevents you being reconciled to God through what Jesus has achieved on the cross? As we look at our world, we see the futility and the decay that are natural hallmarks of creation. We can see the hostility and the evil that are the natural hallmarks of the human character, the human race. And yet, Jesus brings his own hallmark. Reconciliation by his blood. There's nothing that humans can do these false teachers have come along into Colossae, given the impression that Christians need to add something to their salvation, Paul is 100% denying it here. Paul gives a comprehensive, unqualified, decisive answer that the initiative 
comes from God and not from us. The action has been completed. The job is done. And if you're here today and you're unsure of your faith, can I say to you that, your, that God's desire for reconciliation with you does not depend upon human achievement. It depends upon human acceptance. Acceptance that you are far from perfect. Acceptance that Christ has died for your sins. Acceptance that he has risen from the grave. And as you accept these things, as you put your faith in him, as you turn away from your life without God and you turn towards him, you will be saved for eternity. It's a pretty good deal. And for all the Christians in the room, these last three verses in this passage describe three things. What we once were, what we are now, and how we keep going. So first, what we once were. Verse 21 tells us we weren't just apathetic to God. We weren't just disinterested. We were enemies. See, when we think we're not making a decision, that in itself is a decision. So... When I think, I can't decide whether to get on the train, I've made a decision. I haven't got on it. And similarly, if we we either follow Jesus or we don't. There's no room in the middle, there's no grey areas. So once we were alienated from God, and we were enemies in our minds. But, verse 22, as Christians we are then rescued. God has done it through Christ once and for all. And we have no part in that achievement. We've contributed nothing to our salvation, but we can accept it gladly. The blood-stained piece of wood called the cross brings freedom. And finally, how do we keep going? Well, verse 23 says we continue to be firmly established Any move away from the gospel of Jesus Christ is to move away from the very foundation on which he builds his church. And this can happen through false teaching, as may have been happening here. But also, bearing in mind Jesus' work on the cross was a work of reconciliation, we can move away from that. We can move away from the foundation of the gospel by allowing disunity or unforgiveness to damage our walk with God. So let's not be distracted. J. John once said this, the main thing is to keep the main thing as the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing as the main thing. And this is what I believe Paul is encouraging us. Keep the focus on Jesus. He was encouraging the Colossians, he's encouraging us. And in this fantastic piece of writing, he gives us loads and loads of good reasons why we need to keep our focus on Jesus. I wonder whether the worship team would come back, please. Let's keep Jesus at the very centre because he is the creator and the sustainer of the whole universe. His death on the cross is the one thing that reconciles us to God. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. He is above the angels. He is the firstborn over all creation. He is heir to all things. He is the resurrected one, the conqueror of death. He is the one who gives new life, 
who sends his Holy Spirit. He is the King. He is the Saviour. He is the Redeemer. He is the Provider. He is the Supreme One. And he is the Sufficient One. Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is enough. And let our response today be to worship him. Let's stand together, shall we? And Josh is going to lead us as we bring glory to Jesus before we conclude.